Well, uh, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about temptations and how we're tempted to doubt, we are tempted to fear, and then we're tempted to disobey. I looked at this last week and weeks before, but it's a strategy of the enemy to cause you to doubt. It isn't just a feeling or emotion or something you're going through or a season that's going to pass. It's something the devil's trying to tempt you with. So um, he did this with Adam and Eve, and we saw last week how he did it with King David also. He was tempted to doubt and tempted to fear and tempted to disobey. So today I want to continue looking at uh, how we're tempted to doubt or tempted to do something, but we're tempted to be offended. Okay, We are tempted to be offended. Uh, the actual feelings, emotions of offense is a temptation. And when you feel that moment of time where somebody said something or somebody gave you that look, you're like, oh no, it's on. Right there, it does need to be on. You need to be on in your heart like, no, I'm not going to yield to the flesh. It reaps corruption. I'm going to yield to the spirit which reaps life. Right there, you have to decide. Right, it's a temptation which one you're going to choose. It isn't a matter if they were rude. It isn't a matter if they whatever. It doesn't matter what they did. It matters what you do. You are in control of you, and we choose to be offended. But I also want you to see we are tempted to be offended. Now, I'm not talking about, like Joe mentioned, the cancel culture and people that are offended over everything. Today, I mean, they're inventing ways to be offended. I mean, I'm, man, my goodness, it's just some kind of sissy generation. God help me. I'm not prophesying that. I'm just saying <laughs> it's hard. Like, they're offended over things. Like, you just don't even, it's just hard to even imagine your brain even go there. But, you know, Jesus prophesied. He said these days would come. Do you know that? He said that. In Matthew 24, he talks about all these things are going to happen in the last days. And in verse 10, he said, And then many will be offended. And this is the Amplified Version. Many will be offended and repelled and will begin to distrust and desert him who they ought to trust and obey and will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. Man, that sounded like that was written last year or, or something. But Jesus said many will be offended, then they'll be repelled, then they'll distrust, and then they'll desert. So the word offend comes from the Greek word scandalizo. It's where we get an English word for scandal or scandalous or scandalize. So scandal means, to, means indignation or bewilderment brought about by a flagrant violation of morality, propriety, or religious opinion. So it's not, just, it's not always to do with um, someone doing something criminal. It actually can be to do with just a, an indignation or a feeling because someone violated morality, propriety, or your religious opinion. So if someone violates something, you could be offended, right? In the Greek, the word means to put a snare or stumbling block in the way or to stumble. So the word offense has a connection with stumbling, being tripped up over a flagrant violation of morality, propriety, or religious opinion. And the word repel, you guys know what that word means. It's like the bug repellent you put on you to keep bugs away. Hopefully it usually works. But Jesus talked about in the last days, many people, many people are going to be offended. They're going to be repelled. They're going to distrust and they're going to desert. And, you know, my heart in this message today is that I don't want you guys to be one of them. Okay? You are going to be tempted to be offended. You know, we're offended by the stuff they're, they're saying they're offended with right now. Right? I mean, I mean, just being real, I mean, we have to, and, and offense isn't what we need. We don't need to be, they're foolish, right? Romans 1, they've given them over to a foolish mind. It's, they're not saved. It's what people do that aren't saved. They're actually acting like their nature is designed to do. 
But we're not here to judge them. We're not here, and not saying we're here to condone it and say it's not okay. I'm not saying that either. But the enemy has tricked, there's tricks, and he, and he wants this to happen in our life for us to be offended. We get so offended with them, we're not praying for them anymore. We get so offended with them, we, we don't believe God could save them, and they're too far gone that God couldn't even touch them. They're, they're too far gone. You know what? We're too far gone in our brain thinking like that, and it's not, not enough like Jesus. So I'm sharing this thing because I don't want this to happen to you, but sadly, Jesus said it's going to happen to many. It's going to happen to me. They're going to get offended. They're going to re- repel against God. Then they're going to um, distrust, and they're going to desert. And usually he talks about not, not returning. I want to show you an example of this from John 6. 53 through 71. And Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. My flesh is food indeed, or real food. And my flesh, my flesh and drink, uh, and, sorry, I skipped a part. My flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Now, I know you've read this before. I'm not done yet. i got some more to read. But if I was standing up here saying this to you, I would hope to goodness that you're offended. <laughs> Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. You'd be like, what is this crazy guy saying today? What is this? I mean, come on. We know what it means today, but they had no idea what Jesus was talking about. They had no clue. So verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is his hometown where he lived at that time. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? <laughs> oh, there's an under, understatement, right? This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? He wants me to eat his, eat his skin and drink his blood. Okay? Verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? I want to read this verse again in the Amplified Version. But Jesus, knowing within himself that his disciples were complaining, protesting, and grumbling about it, said to them, is this a stumbling block and offense to you? Does this upset and displease and shock and scandalize you? The disciples were grumbling, they were complaining, they were protesting about what Jesus just said. The thought of cannibalism wasn't ideal for them. They were not excited about this. These guys didn't even eat bacon. I mean, come on. Like, <laughs> I didn't even eat bacon. How are they going to be eating, anyway, something else? But... They got tripped up over his teaching. Now, he goes on to explain that he wasn't talking a literal teaching here. He was talking a spiritual teaching here. And he said this, but even then, they still didn't get it. They didn't click. Now, we've had time to think about this. They were hearing it, you know, fresh. And this was scandalous to them, and they got offended. They were offended. Verse 62 goes on to say, What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he, where he was before? It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. He's saying right there, I'm not talking about eating my actual skin or drinking my actual blood. It's the spiritual teaching. Uh, It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me 
unless it has been granted to him by my father. From that time, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Do you see that? First they were offended, then they were repelled, then they you know distrusted, and then they deserted. They how sad is that? These guys followed him for the miracles. They followed him for the cool stuff that they'd seen. But he gives one teaching that didn't quite jive with how they were, and it was a pretty serious teaching, but they gave one teaching that didn't quite jive with their understanding of things, and they just said, I'm out of here. I'm packing my bags and I'm going. Do you know some people have done that with church? That's spiritual immaturity right there, what that's happening right here. Uh, but this, um, one little thing, one little slip up, the one thing taught wrong, and some people are like, I'm leaving. And you know, Sometimes Jesus says things intentionally to offend you. To cause you to think differently about something. To offend me. And he wants us to, to know, are you going to trust me even when you're offended? Are you here? Have you been there? I've been there. Let's read this story some more. Verse 67. And Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go? How would Jesus' heart feel that day? Do you also want to leave me too? Am I going to just be here all by myself now? Verse 68, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? And have the, you have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for it was, it was he who betrayed him, being one of the twelve. There's a lot happening in this portion of scripture. I'm not going to be able to go over it all today. Um, but the people were offended what Jesus at what Jesus said, and they stopped following him. And um, the very warning Jesus gave in Matthew twenty four ten about people being offended and deserting and leaving happened actually while he was still on the earth. I mean, not to say it's not going to happen again. I'm just saying it actually happened in his ministry. So the disciples got offended. But I want you to notice something here. Verse sixty says, "Therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it?'" Who can understand it? Who can understand it? And because they did not understand, they became offended. And you know the same thing happens with you and me? You go through life, and something happens in your life that you don't understand, and you get offended. Now, you might not know you're offended with God, and you might not be brave enough to admit that you're offended with God sometimes, but sometimes when you're praying about something, and it doesn't happen the way you supposed it would happen, you get offended with God. Are you here? In our church, we believe in being real, okay? So I'm being real. We've all been offended at God before. This is not a newsflash to him. It may be to you, but it isn't to God. He really knows your heart. So um, you maybe felt like, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand what that happened. And you get offended. But God, your word says this. But God, you know, I don't understand why I didn't get this job. I didn't understand why God allowed this to happen to me. I don't understand why I'm not healed yet. I don't understand uh, why my dad died or why this person died or that person died. And when we don't understand something on the inside, something inside of us gets offended. We get offended. And uh, just like the disciples did, we get offended. So let me ask you this question. Do you think the other disciples that were there, like the 12 apostle disciples that were there, do you think they understood this teaching? <laughs> do you, think, you really think Peter understood what he was talking about? Right? Do we think uh, James and John, the sons of thunder, knew what in the world Jesus was talking about? Do you think Andrew and Doubt and Thomas had any clue what Jesus was saying? But how come the 12 apostles, how come they stayed in this other whoever number of 
people there were, how come they left? How come some stayed? It was the same teaching. They both heard the same teaching. But some stayed and some left. And so I was praying about this the other day, and it felt like God said, trust first, understand later. Trust first. And that's what the disciples did. They probably thought, well, I don't understand this now, but eventually he's going to take us in the back room over there, and we get to ask him questions. Like, I don't know what you're saying. Do you understand this? No. Like, okay, let me explain this to you, and he tells you. But even if he doesn't tell them in that back room, even if they don't know what happens next, they still have to trust him because they know him. And when you know someone, you trust them. And part of our relationship with God is knowing him. It's not just knowing the rule book, knowing the playbook, knowing this, it's knowing God. And so we have to know God. And so when we get offended with God, the first thing we need to do is not run, but lean into our trust. Lean into our trust of him. Lean into the past, what we've seen God do. So we need to trust him first and understand it will eventually come. And isn't that what the Bible teaches? You can think of a scripture verse right off your top of your head probably, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What does it say? Trust in the Lord with some of your heart, with half your heart, when everything's going just perfectly good, but with all your heart, and lean not in your what? So you, you don't understand something. You can't lean in your own understanding. I don't understand this, God. But he said, don't lean in your understanding. Don't lean on that. Lean on the trust. Lean on the trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge that he is Lord. Amen? That he is good. He's faithful and just. He's going he's gonna to pay you back. He's going to make it right. If it's not good yet, it's going to be good because he works all things together for your good. But he will, says he will direct your path if you trust him. If you don't, you'll be offended. And you won't understand. And then you can distrust and you can be deserted. Isaiah 26.3 says he'll keep you in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. We can stay in perfect peace even when we don't understand something because we trust him. We don't understand why this hasn't happened yet or that hasn't happened yet, but we trust Jesus. We trust he's good. We trust he loves us. We trust he's working it out in our favor. He's working out for our good because he said so, amen? You might not be able to figure out how he's going to do it and you'd be probably wise to stop trying. But just say, I'm going to trust him though. How about Philippians 4, 7? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Things you don't understand, you can have peace even in those moments where you don't understand something. If you get caught up on why me, why this happened to me, why this, why that, you, know, you can really lose your peace and your joy. But if you can trust God, even in those moments where it's hard, even those moments where like, why is this taking so long? I've confessed my scriptures, I've done this, I've done that, I don't see this shift or change yet. Guess what? Then keep doing it. Keep doing it. And you're demonstrating your trust. You're demonstrating your faith by your actions. Amen? Amen. So we are called to trust even when it doesn't make sense. Even when things uh, we don't understand. And when we do, it says he directs our paths. He will keep us in perfect peace. And his peace is greater than our lack of understanding. And he guards our hearts and our minds. And all we have to do is trust him. Why is that so hard to do? He can't lie. It'd be easier if he could lie and just play tricks on you. Right? It'd be a lot easier for us not to trust him. But it, it takes effort on our part to trust God. And you know, it's because it's people have let us down. People have hurt us. We've been offended by people. And we think God is like these people. But he is not like any person on the planet. 
He's not, he's not like the best person you've ever met, your mom or your dad or your aunt, uncle, or someone that was the most loving, kind person that you've ever met. He is not even like them. I mean, he's similar in, in those ways. But he is so far superior in love, in grace, in faith, in kindness towards you. There is really no comparison. So we have to get our comparison of what God is actually like from the Word, not our neighbors. Amen? Amen. So sometimes there are things that happen that we just don't understand. And when, we, and when they happen, we're tempted to be offended towards God. But we need to be careful because the next step after offense is we're driven away. Then, we're, then distrust settles in. Then we're tempted to leave and not return. So I'd like to say that this has probably happened to every one of us in here in some way or another. Um, I don't have it for a fact, but I'm just guessing it's probably happened to some of us and all of us in some way or another. And I'm saying the way of leaving Jesus, not following him, or I don't mean it to that degree. But I mean it like we get offended towards God and this settles in and, and uh, whether we know it or don't know it or we don't want to admit it, but there's certain areas of our life that we won't talk to God about anymore. There's certain, I'll talk to God about all these things, but over here, this part here, I'm pushing this over here in the corner. I'm not going to talk about that. It's kind of like in marriages sometimes. We have these little spats over things. The mothers-in-laws or the in-laws or whoever, different things. And after a while, you're married a while, like, you know, let's not bring up that. And the kids bring up, shh, don't bring that up in front of your mother because it's going to be a fight. And you learn to make these boxes in your relationship around these certain topics that you don't bring up because if you do, you're going to have to waste an hour of your evening listening to, like, back and forth. It's too real. <laughs> I'm just saying, all right? But there's, there's things in our life like that, also with God, that this hurt happened, or this painful thing happened, or something just traumatic happened, or whatever. And when it happens, like, I can't talk about that with anybody. I can't talk about that with God. I can't talk about it with anybody. And, you know, in our Sozo sessions, there's people, they come in, and they'll open books, they'll share all this stuff, all this sin that happened, all these different things that happened to them or things they've done. But then all of a sudden, there's this one topic that I didn't bring up, but they feel prompted by the Holy Spirit to bring up, and they're like, no, I'm not going there. That, that box over there, that's too painful. I'm not going to go there. And, you know, their healing that they're seeking is on the other side of that box. The very thing that they will not talk about is their healing is behind that thing. That's where offense sunk in. That's where doubt and unbelief sunk in. And during the trauma, during the pain, during the disappointment, it sunk in there. They created that box. I can't go there anymore. So, but there's healing on the other side of that. And so somehow we've, we shut down, like, I can't talk to God about this anymore. Or I can't talk to God about money anymore because he's let me down and not provided for me. Or he didn't provide me here or there. Or, or something happened. I can't talk to God about money. Or I can't talk to God about hurt when you get hurt physically or emotionally. And you're just like, I can't talk to God about that. And you know what? You can, and you need to. Because we get offended, right? We, who do we bring it to? we got to bring it to God. I mean, who else are you going to tell that's going to really understand? You can tell your good friend, you can tell your spouse, and they're with a listening ear, but the one who's really going to understand, who is with you before you were even in your mother's womb, before you were in your mother's womb, he knew you. Bring it to God. So you name it. There are so many ways for us to be offended by things we don't understand. And so since there's a lot of things we don't understand, there's lots of ways for us to get offended with God. Amen? Amen, oh me, hallelujah. But I'm telling you, you can do something about it. You can do some, stop being the victim, amen? And let's be proactive and bring our stuff to God. We can't, time for 
Christianity that's pretend and fake and this facade of just showing up at church with nice clothes on, that day is over, praise God. That day is over. Today is the day where the rubber meets the road. Is God God of your life or not? And if he is, we need to bring our stuff to him and let him heal stuff in our hearts so we can trust him. The reason we don't trust him is because we've gone through this pain and things and we haven't processed it right and we're struggling with it. So it doesn't go away by just denying it's there or putting this corner box that we don't deal with. It goes away by bringing it to him. Amen? Let him heal it. So let me show you another example from the word of things that happen uh, that can cause challenges and pain when we don't understand. The story where Jesus feeds the 5,000 people, not counting women and children. And that's a, a lot of people. There's probably close to 20,000 people there. And they collect all these basketfuls afterwards, and they have 12 basketfuls left over. That never happens at our potluck meals, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Jerry Troxer usually brings home a plate, and there's some others who bring home a plate, and we have some to-go boxes we send out. But I don't remember there being 12 basketfuls left over. But, but anyway, afterwards, Jesus instructs them to... Hold on, my notes just disappeared. Why does an iPad do that? Somebody pray for my iPad. Our church iPad died. Give me one second here. Um, but afterward, Jesus tells them, collect the pieces and get them to sit down. And after they sit down, he tells them to go, after he collects all the pieces, he stays back to send them home. And uh, he sends his disciples on ahead of him. And he puts them in a boat. And they start rowing in the boat. And they had a long day. They already fed 5,000 people, not counting women and children. right? Then they had to go back and hand out the food, go back, pick up the leftovers, and then they got in a boat to row the boat. So you're at Mark 6, thank you, because i got to find it now. The whole thing just shut off on me. I'm getting closer. All right, Mark 6, 45. It says, Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and would have passed by them. You know what, guys? Even in this story I've just read to you right now, there's a whole bunch of things just in this story that I just do not understand. And if I was in that story... I was one of the guys in the boat rowing. I think I had some place there. I could probably get offended. Okay, let me break it down for you. He sends them away. Again, they had a long day already, the feeding, collecting, rowing. They, they left in the boat sometime before evening. Evening starts at 6 p.m. in the Bible. So they left sometime between 3 and 6. They left and started rowing. By evening, by 6 p.m., they'd only made it halfway across the Sea of Galilee. Have you ever rowed a boat before? Now, these are old. They're not, they're not made of, you know, you know, fuel and you know, plastic and stuff like today. These are big old heavy wooden boats with, with uh, big oars and wooden things. I've done some uh, with uh, you know, canoes and different things like that, and I've done a little bit in a sailboat. But these guys would have been rowing for like a long time. So they halfway, after all these hours, they row out there, and... Jesus sees the wind shifted, and the wind's blowing against them. It's hitting them head on now, and they're not making progress like they were before. And he sees them, but he doesn't go to them right away. He says he sees them, then he says he waits to go into the fourth watch of the night. Do you know what time the fourth watch of the night is? That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So they left at around 3 p.m. and 6 p.m., and he goes out to see him between 3 and 6 a.m. 
You know, that's nine to 12 hours, depending on what time he went out there. That's a long time to be rowing a boat. Now, I'm sure they took turns. Some were napping, resting, switching turns and stuff like that. Either way, that's a long time. In verse 48, it says he would have passed right on by them. He saw them straining. He saw them working. He did all that stuff all day. They're in a boat for nine to 12 hours rowing. Jesus sees them straining, and he would have walked right on past them. He would have. It says that, right? He saw it. I don't understand that. I have a theory I'll share later, but I don't understand. Like, it's, that's a long, why did he wait so long? Why did, he saw them. He was still praying, but why did he wait so long? Why was he going to walk right on by? I don't know, but I know that one thing, that um, he did eventually get there, right? I'll come back to that in a minute. So, verse 49, and when he saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost, and they cried out, uh, for they had all saw him and was troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat with, to them, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed in themselves beyond measure and marveled. For they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Hmm. What happened here? They'd seen all these miracles, all these stuff that God had done. But there, here was this miracle that took place where he multiplied fish and bread, and their heart became hardened, or they became offended. So the word hardened here means a kind of a stone, to petrify, to harden by covering with a callus, to become dull, lose the power of understanding, to make the heart dull. The disciples here would have experienced this wide spectrum of emotions, okay? They're going from, we don't have enough food, to, oh my gosh, we got too much food, everybody's fed, they're super happy, then they're in a boat and they're rowing. And they're rowing for a long time. And they probably have a bunch of random thoughts going through their mind. And then they see this ghost. And like, oh my gosh, it's a ghost. And it's, no, it's not a ghost. It's Jesus. Then he gets in the boat. The storm stops. And their, their emotions are just going all over. What is going on? So by the time he gets in the boat, they're greatly amazed at what just happened. But imagine some of their thoughts as they're rowing that boat. They've been rowing 9 to 12 hours. I think some of us in here couldn't row 9 to 12 minutes. Okay, in, uh, in a big old boat like that, with the big oars, with the waves hitting on the front, I mean, it would be sweating hard, pain, arms shaking, throbbing kind of work. And they would probably have these random thoughts like, like, huh, he multiplied the food. I didn't see that coming. I did not think he was going to do that. Then they probably thought, I wonder why he didn't do that that time. He sent us all the way to walk to town to go buy food when he's talking to that woman at the well. He may as well go all the way to town and buy food. Why didn't he multiply? Thomas had bread. Why did he do that? And then I thought, I imagine Judas having these thoughts like, hey, we could make some money off of this. Hmm. <laughs> Let's think of that for a second. He goes, he, all we have to do is buy five loaves and two fish, and he can multiply it. We can market this. We had a sales pitch over here. We can sell it to the people. We could have lots of money coming in for Jesus' ministry, for his ministry, right? You know, Jesus, Judas was a treasurer. He helped himself to the money bag as often as he wanted to. So you probably thought, hmm, between that and the turning the water to wine thing, we can make some serious money here, right? You know, they're having these thoughts going through their head, whatever they were. We don't know what they were, but something happened in that boat ride. Something happened after this amazing miracle that their hearts were hardened. Their hearts became callous because they did not understand. And you know, in life, when we go through things we don't understand, good and bad sometimes, our hearts can get hard, our hearts can get callous, and we have to take our, our stuff to the Lord. Okay? Well, um, 
Let me show you this in another. Let me show you another example of this in, uh, let's see, Matthew. Here it is, Matt, uh, sorry, Mark 8. This is the feeding of the 4,000. Very similar thing happened. It says, and they left, they left together this time, and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It's because we have no bread. You see what I meant by, by dull? Do you think they, they didn't understand this? How are they going to understand, eat my flesh and drink my blood? And he says, Why do you reason because we have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? It had hardened before. Is it still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? Those are some important questions to write down or to remember right there. Do you not see? Do you not hear? Do you not remember? Is your heart still hardened? Because if it is, it's going to hinder how you hear God. Hinder how you see God. Hinder how you pray, how you believe. So, he said, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, 12. Also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. So he said to them, how is it you do not understand? And then you're like, I am never going to ask him another question again <laughs> because I still don't understand, but he's saying I should understand but I really don't, all right? I mean, sometimes they had to poke John. It's like, hey, psst, you ask him. I don't dare to ask him this time, right? So Jesus asked them, do you not understand? Is your heart still hardened? You see, there's a connection here between not understanding and offense and the hardening of our hearts. And when we don't understand something, we need to take it to the Lord for clarity. So in closing, I want to just share these thoughts with you. He said in verse 18, do you not see... Do you not hear, and do you not remember? You know, those are temptations we face. You go through a new situation, something you haven't been through before. You've been through similar ones, ones that can relate, be related to it, but you've been through similar ones, but you, all of a sudden you're like, you forget. God did this for you before. God provided for you before. God healed you before. God did this for you before. But then a new thing comes up. Do you, what do you see? You see the problem. What do you hear? You hear how, what happened to so-and-so and so-and-so that had similar situations. What do you remember? You remember what you saw on the news or what this person, that person said. And he's, what do you remember? We need to see, hear, and remember what did God say? What did he do? We need to remember the testimony. And when we become offended, it will become hard for us to see, hear, and remember the good things. When we're offended at our friends, at God, or whatever, we only remember the bad things. Do you know that? It totally excuse how you see things when we're offended, how I do, okay? So what causes us to stay close to Jesus and not wander off due to our lack of understanding? It's putting trust first. It's trusting first. I, I don't understand why this happened. I don't know why Jesus would have walked by in the boat. I don't know why he waited, you know, 12 to 15 hours to go out there and help his disciples that were really struggling in that boat. I don't know why. And in your life, you might feel like that. You've been struggling for nine hours, 
15 hours, 9 months, 15 months, whatever. You've been struggling. You're waiting for Jesus to come to the boat or calm those troubled waters. You're wondering, where is he at? But I've got some good news for you. He is a God that shows up in the fourth watch of the night. He is coming. He's on his way. You might not see him yet. You might not see the answer, what you've been believing for yet. But he is a God who shows up in the fourth watch of the night. He will be there if you just stand on his word and trust him. When you don't see it, trust him. It's going gonna, it's gonna to affect your flesh. It's going to be like killing your flesh. Like, where are you? I've been praying for 15 minutes. Why aren't you here? Or 15 years, whatever it is. It's going to test your flesh. But you have to trust God. You really don't have a choice. I mean, I'm just saying, I don't either, right? <laughs> so you can either be miserable, tormented in fear and doubt and unbelief, or you can let the peace that passes all understanding guard your heart and your mind in Christ because you trust him. You might as well enjoy it while you're going through it because you're going to go through some things that are hard sometimes, amen? You've already done it, but he will show up. So I want to share this thought with you too. Um, be, be aware that you are being tempted to be offended. Not just at God, but at your neighbors, at your friends. You know, think going back to the story in the boat, do you think some of those disciples started to get offended with each other? Man, I've been rowing for three hours. What is up with lazy Thomas over here? Is he not going to help? Come on, my arms are burning me. What is he doing over there? He's been sleeping the whole time. And when you get offended, right, you're laughing because you've been there, right? you got some lazy friends or you perceive lazy friends or whatever. And you, when, you, when you're there, you start seeing things differently. You start seeing your friends or neighbors or people differently when you get offended. Amen? So... Um, don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. God will show up. It might be the fourth watch of the night. He will show up. I want to put this out there as a suggestion of why Jesus was going to walk on by. Jesus is not moved by need. God is not moved by need. God is moved by faith. Okay? Whether we like that or not, it's just the reality of heaven. It's kingdom reality. If he was moved by need, what would Africa look like today? What would India look like today? What would it, it was just need that moved God. Faith moves God. Trusting God moves God, moves heaven. So I don't understand all this, some of these things, but uh, if, in going the Matthew version of this story, where, they're walk, where Jesus is walking on the water and they thought they saw the ghost, in Matthew's version of the story, there was some faith expressed. It didn't happen in Mark's version. I don't know if Mark, maybe he was still bitter at Peter over this. I don't know, or he, he looked good. But Mark didn't include it. But in Matthew's version of the story, they see what they thought was a ghost. Jesus says, it's me, calm down, relax, fear not. And then Peter said, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come out there on the water, and I'll come out to you. He said, come. What's that? Faith. Jesus is going to walk right on by until Peter said, hey, if it's really you, tell me to come out there to you. Do you, do you see it? He was going to walk by. It was faith. That made him come close. I'm telling you, it's faith in, it's trusting God. It's faith that's going to cause God to draw close to you. It's not mumbling. It's not grumbling and complaining. It's not, I don't understand this teaching. Who's going to drink his blood and he did, uh, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's not going to be mumbling, grumbling, complaining, or protesting. It's going to be faith and trusting in Jesus, even when you don't understand. Amen. That is the anchor for your soul. That is what's going to hold you to the rock of Christ is trust in him when you don't see it and know that God is not a man that he should lie. Does he speak? Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? 
No, he does. But you might have to wait to the fourth watch of the night. And if you do, you might not have to, but you might. But if you do, make sure you're still in faith by the time the fourth watch of the night comes around so you can call out to him and he'll come to the boat and not let him walk right on by. Amen? God does want us to experience answered prayers. But remember, patience must have its perfect work. Faith and patience work together. And those boys had to be patient while they're rowing that boat. And in your life, in my life, or sometimes you're going to have to be patient, patient while you're waiting for the goodness of God, to experience the goodness of God in the land of the living. doesn't mean he's not good the whole time. It means he's working some stuff out of your flesh. You know, I've been working out with Ken some at the gym. I don't know if you guys have noticed yet, but my shirt's getting tighter right about here. Just saying. But uh, working out, with, and so I'm lifting this weight, and it was like, it's hurting. Like, it was like, this is not, I don't know if it's a good hurt or a bad hurt. And this one guy was there with us. He said, when you scream like that, it's, it's, uh, it's actually weakness leaving your body. <laughs> not really true, but that's what they say. But, um, you know, sometimes in life when you're going through, you're feeling that press, that pressure, and you feel like screaming. That's that weakness leaving your body if you, if, you leave it to, if you trust in God through it and not just turn to grumbling and complaining. God's put, letting pressure be put on you to get something out of you so he can put something into you, and it's called faith and trust in Jesus. If we can't trust him uh, in these little things in life, how can we really trust him when you die you're actually going to go to heaven? How do you know? You've never been there. You've never been there. You've never seen heaven. You've never walked on the gold or seen your mansion yet. How do you know? Because God said it. Well, how do you know all the other things are going to work out in your life? Because God said it. Just this one, your flesh is involved. That one is just imagination, but it's flesh involved now. So if we can trust him in our death and in a sweet by and by, we need to trust him right now when things sometimes are challenging. Amen? So whether you're in the fourth watch of the night or you're just starting the first one, rowing that boat, I don't know. But I want you to know, help us on the way. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. God is with you. He's for you, not against you. And he will cause all these things to work out for your good. But it's to those who trust him. Not to those that grumble and complain. Those that grumbled and complained and were offended, they left and didn't follow Jesus anymore. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to take communion together and remember our covenant with God. If the elders can come and prepare the Lord's table. We started off by reading that story about uh, eating his body and drinking his blood. They had no grid for really communion, our covenant meal. They had some inclination of some different things, the Passover and stuff, but not quite the way he was doing it, what he was sharing with them. Jesus loves us so much. He wants us to trust him so much that he put this, this meal together for us to remind you each and every time we take it, to remember that he is a God of covenants. Okay? It says on the front of there, do this in remembrance of me. And too many times people do this in remembrance of their sin. That is not what communion is about. Communion is about remembering Jesus, not remembering yourself. It's remember what he did for you. It's what he did to pay for your sin, what he did to pay for your sicknesses and your diseases, what he did to pay for you. It's do it in remembrance of him. And we remember. He said, do you see? Do you hear? Do you remember? We remember what he did for us. We are honoring God with our faith and with our trust. Amen? So I'm going to pray and bless these elements. We're going to take them together as a family. I'll just invite you guys to come forward and, and take them. Bring them back to your seat and hold on, and we'll take them together. So happy Father's Day, God. It is our heart, desire to trust you, even when it's challenging sometimes. 
even when our flesh is crying out that uh, we don't understand, even when our flesh feels offended or our hearts get hardened, God, it's our desire to trust you with all of our lives, to lean not in our own understanding, all of our ways, acknowledge you, and you'll direct our paths. God, I thank you for this covenant meal, this reminder, this holy signs and seals of our covenant of grace. It's a constant reminder of your love for us, a constant reminder of our forgiveness, a constant reminder of our healing, a constant reminder of how you took our shame and you carried away our pain and diseases, how you took all the stuff away and gave us your spirit. It's a constant reminder. So God, we do this today in remembrance of you. And God, I pray today that today be the day when people partake of your communion, your holy table, and their bodies are quickened. Their bodies are healed just like at Passover. They're instantly touched. If the blood of the Lamb can do that, how much more the blood of Christ. So God, I thank you for your goodness, and I thank you for our covenant we have with you. You can be trusted. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I invite you guys to come up and receive.
You know, when you're going through something, you're tempted to not speak the word. You know, sometimes you might be tempted. I only want to quote half the verse. Like, surely he took your sins and, and carry away your diseases. By his stripes you're healed. And you read that and you got pain in your body or you got an issue in your, your body and you're tempted to not even say that anymore because you've read it so long, you've prayed it so many times and you haven't seen it happen yet. You're tempted to, to not trust Jesus and not believe his word. You know, I'm tempted to not say it sometimes. Sometimes I pray for people and they weren't touched, they weren't healed, and I'm tempted to not say it because so-and-so might get offended or so-and-so might not get offended. But the only hope we have is in the broken body of Jesus. And if I stop saying that, I'm changing the word of God. I'm making the word of God of no effect. And I can't change it because God said it. And God said it, he meant it. And so when I say it, I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it as a way to challenge anybody or a way to make anyone offended because you're still believing God for a touch of your body. I'm saying it because God said it's true, and it's true. He gave the shadow Passover lamb in the Old Testament, and they went out with silver and gold. There wasn't one feeble among their tribes. If, if three million people can get touched by eating a lamb, a year, one-year-old one lamb that represented Christ, how much more should we be healed when we partake of the broken body of Jesus? So I can't stop saying it. I'm not saying to offend anybody, but the Word of God, the Bible says the Word of God offends to those who are perishing. <laughs> so let's trust God and believe God. God, I thank you for your broken body. You were wounded for my transgressions. You were crushed for my iniquities. The chastisement that paid for my peace fell upon you. And by your stripes, we are healed. Let's take and eat this in remembrance of him. Let's take this in faith today, amen. Let's take it in faith. Not in ritual, not by routine, but by faith. Amen. God said, though your sins were like scarlet, though they were dirty, though they were nasty, though they were bad, he made you, come on somebody, he made you white like snow. You're not forgiven until your next time you sin. There was blood has been shed, Blood has been applied that covered all your sins, past, present, and even future sins. It's been paid for. Your sins are forgiven you. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far it's been removed from you. This is not a might, maybe, or sometimes, or for some people. It's for you. You know, it's not right to go to church for 50 years and not know your sins have been forgiven. When that's the very reason Jesus came. It's not right. It's not right for us to doubt our salvation. Amen? So take this in faith. His blood was poured out for you, for me, because he loves you. And your sins, though they were bad, he's not just forgiven them. He's made your spirit man white like snow, perfectly clean by the garment of Jesus, the righteousness of God in Christ. Let's take and drink this in remembrance of him.
you're struggling with guilt, condemnation, shame over your past sins, you need to take communion. Do you hear me? At home. You're struggling with guilt. Come on, somebody. I'm feeling the anointing because God is good. If you are struggling, you've been saved, and you're still struggling to believe if you are forgiven or you're healed or whatever, you need to take communion in your house until that thing is cast aside and you can just believe what God's word says. Because as long as you let it, you're going to be like that vision I told you of the guy sitting under the conveyor belt. As long as you let that condemnation, that guilt, that shame continue, he's going to keep piling on and piling on and piling on until you do something about it. Take out the sword of spirit. Take out communion. And remember, you are forgiven. And tell your face. Amen. Tell your countenance. Amen. <laughs> are you good? Praise God. Stand up, please. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny, but calling anybody ugly or anything, I'm just saying, if, you, if your face knows it, you're going to probably smile when you know you're really forgiven. You really are. Amen. That's a good thing. Amen. So God, I thank you that we are the forgiven ones. We are forgiven. The blood cleanses us. Your blood cleansed us. Your blood cleansed us. Yes, your blood cleansed us. Man, if you're struggling to believe that, you need to speak that out of your mouth. Your blood cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Your blood cleansed us. Yes, God. We thank you for it. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I thank you that was what was spilled for our behalf. So God, we thank you for it. I bless you in Jesus' name. Bless these people. Amen.